0: Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, brother. Glad to see you guys here. Perspective. That's a good thing to have. Perspective. Especially for the believer. Everything that you see and everything that you see going on, everything you see happening, and and um, you know, all the world around us is is in turmoil and upheaval, and people are running to and fro. Uh, You know, the Bible talks about in the last days that men's hearts will be failing them for fear. And a brother was telling me, an article he was reading, um, uh, news from from Israel, and they were talking about the vaccine for COVID-19 when it comes out. And uh, they're already talking about, you know, you get the vaccine and you get a card. Uh, They can't force you by law to get the vaccine, but if you don't have the vaccine, you don't have that card, you can't buy, you can't sell, you can't get on a plane, you can't. And it's just like, you know, there, there's a lot of, again, perspective, perspective, perspective. When, when you know, when any time there's some natural disaster or, or some horrible occurrence that happens and people start talking about the judgment of God, uh, and, and, and you have people, certain people that'll get on TV or the radio and say, this is the judgment of God, this is the judgment of God. I disagree wholeheartedly. The judgment of God is unmistakable, okay? A worldwide flood, that's the judgment of God. Sodom and Gomorrah, that's the judgment of God, okay? COVID-19 is, you know, I don't know, a devil's sneeze. I have no idea, whatever, okay? It's nothing. You read, your, read through your Bibles, read through the book of Revelation. Uh, and this is why the Christian is to be sober, uh, sober-minded and vigilant in the last days, and, then, uh, and all the more, you know, as our pastors told us 100 million times, that we shouldn't forsake the gathering of ourselves together. And all the more as we see those days approaching. Why? Because we need this. We need the fellowship of the saints. We need to be encouraged in the word. And we need to gather together and worship and praise and honor our God in the midst, especially in the midst of trials and tribulations. If we praise God and we glorify God and we serve God only when things are going well, what does that profit us, right? As the Bible says, even the pagans, even the pagans do the right things when things are going right for them. But during the trial and during the tribulation and during times of uncertainty, if we lift up our heads... And we have this thing where David talks about being, being, being up, standing up upon the rock. You know, we know that Jesus Christ is our rock, and he is the foundation of our faith. And he talks about his head now being lifted high up, around about his enemies. And, and David's able to do this, this beautiful disappearing, spiritual disappearing act. Uh, in the midst of the worst trials and tribulations of his life. And this is why, make no mistake about it, when we read through the life of David and, and, and when God says, here's a man after my own heart. This is a man after my own heart. And you read the life of David and you're like, sometimes like, how could it be? How could it possibly be that God would say, this is the guy? I mean, David was way worse than me. You know what I mean? And I know I'm not worthy. And he's done way worse things than I've ever done when the chips were down, and and even in the midst of judgment, no matter what was going on around David, his automatic response was to run into the arms of the Lord. To run into the arms of the Lord. And it didn't matter whether it was the despair and the trial and tribulations that were brought on by his own horrible mistakes, his own horrible sins, or whether it was trials and tribulations and terrible circumstances that came upon him that were no fault of his own, regardless, in either circumstance, David immediately ran into the arms of the Lord and put his entire life and all of his hopes and dreams in the hands of God and said, I don't even care what happens to me. I don't even care how this goes down. You could drown me in the, in the, in the sea and, or smash me into pieces. Nothing, as long as it's you, O oh Lord. As long as I'm found in you, do with me as you must. Just don't let me fall in the hands of men. You know, David had a very clear understanding of how people were. And probably a lot of that was due to the fact that he knew himself. But David, in the midst of everything, always went to the Lord. And he put his hope and his trust in him. That's what separates the great saints from the scriptures all down throughout history. Uh, From Abraham all the way to the apostles. Were these men and these women who had this perspective, this perspective that this life indeed is a mist that vanishes for a moment and then is gone. Whoo. You know, I'm a history guy. I love history. I love going to old places. I love, I work, do a lot of work uh, downtown Syracuse, and I just love going in these buildings where they have all of the super old pictures from Syracuse. When the Erie Canal was passing right through downtown Syracuse and the train was coming right through downtown Syracuse, this one picture that I saw one time, and I stand or people think I'm crazy, you know what I mean? I'm dressed like a pipe fitter as it is, you know what I mean? And then I'm standing up and I'm just, there. <laughs> it's a picture, of, what's this? I think something's wrong with this guy called security. There's this one picture, and it was the train that was carrying the body of Abraham Lincoln after his assassination, and it stopped in Syracuse. And it was all these throngs of people gathered just to watch the train come through Syracuse to pay honor and respect to to Abraham Lincoln. And I look at that, and I see all of the people, and because I got some mental problems, I start to think about, wow, wouldn't it be sweet, like, I'd like to just get a time machine and go back for one day and walk around Syracuse in in the late 1800s. You know what I mean, I would love to do that it would be you know who knows what evil would befall me you know i 'd be the a witch, you know who knows you know <laughs> but you watch and when I what interests me and what fascinates me so much is that you look at these people and you see the history and all these things, and those people were just like you and me in so many ways, right? They had hopes, they had dreams, they had aspirations, they had things that they loved, they had things that they hated, they had things uh, that were trials and tribulations in their lives, and they had victories in their lives, and things that they overcame, and family, and all the things that we have, and they were as real as you and me, and now they're just a picture. Now there's nothing left there, there's just a black and white picture of some guy, and they seem so tiny, didn't they? They seem so tiny and wore weird clothing, and that's all they are to us. Except for a passing glance or a moment where we stop and contemplate they were real human beings. And that's what we are, and that's what this world is, and that's why the Bible says that the earth is fading away like a garment in all the universe, and the Bible talks about to God, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. Why, why, why does it say that? There is no time for God. All of history all of history, from the creation of the universe to the end of all things, in God, is complete. He stands outside of our space-time continuum. He is not bound by it. We are creatures that are created uh, in the image and likeness of God, but we are bound to the dimensions in which we live, that space, matter, and time. We are bound to these things, and we have to remember that God is not. That's why he calls things that, that uh, that are not as though they were because he sees everything is complete, he has never been surprised. He has never you know, stumbled and went, oh, I can't believe that was going to happen. He is control, in control of everything. He knows everything. And he has told us all the things that are going to happen all the way up until the end. And what he calls for you and I to do as children of God and as disciples of Jesus Christ is to put all of our hope, to put all of our eggs in that basket. In other words, that all of my hopes and all of my dreams and all my aspirations, and I have so many things that I'm interested in and so many things that I love or that I like or that are fascinating to me or that I want to do in this life and in this world, but God would have it so that all of those things in my heart that make up the soul of Frank Thomas and who I am would always be filtered through the lens of Almighty God and would always be filtered through his word, through his word. You know, there's that, that beautiful verse that says, you know, the prophet who has a dream, let him, let him tell his dream. But he who has my word, let him speak it faithfully. What is the wheat to the chaff? My goodness, I have never seen so many prophecies surrounding COVID-19 and the election and every other thing. And, and I'm not discounting them, on, uh, I, I, you know, I'm not saying that they're not going to happen, I'm not discounting any ministry or anything like that. But to me, it's just it always seems that all the prophecies that I see people post on Facebook go right in line with all the things the way they would like them to happen. Isn't that interesting? And it's something that's so true about us and about human nature is we always are seeking to make the will of God and to make the word of God and to make this life flow through the channels of my hopes, my dreams, my will, and my desires. And instead, what God would have us continually be practicing to do, practicing to do, and this is why the grace and the mercy of God is so important because we blow it all the time and we get out of his will all the time and we get back into doing things our own way and we have to repent and we have to go back to, I want to do things your way. But we continually, God wants us continually to be having this mind in us, to be having this mind in us, the mind of Christ. Remember, the scripture says, who being in very uh, image and form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he lowered himself. He lowered himself to the place of a servant and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. And that's the picture that, and that's the example that God has given us ultimately, that our lives ought to be completely given over in subservience to God's will, knowing this, knowing this. That the end for you and I and the end for everyone who is in Jesus Christ is eternal glory, is to sit at the feet of God and his son, Jesus Christ, to once and for all be in his presence forever and to know no more sickness and no more pain and no more sorrow and no more sin and no more rejection and no more nothing, but the glory of being in the presence of God. Perspective perspective It's very important for all of us to have. Now, um, we are in Deuteronomy. We're going to be finishing up chapter 9 and, and going into, verse, uh, into chapter 10. <clears throat> Lord, we pray that you would cover these verses for us and that you would speak to each heart, whatever it is that you would have to say, Lord, <clears throat> that you'd have your way in us and in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in Deuteronomy chapter 9... <clears throat> Excuse me, once again, as Moses is leading the children of Israel towards the promised land, they're right to that point where they're about to cross over and go in. And right then, Moses begins this long sermon <laughs> of chastising them and reminding them, at times rebuking them, but to bring to remembrance always remember, 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 remember everything. That has happened from the time God brought you out of Egypt until this point in time now that he's about to bring you into the promised land. Remember all of the things, the good and the bad and the commandments of God so that when you enter into the promised land, it can go well for you. Remember all of these things. Uh, if we back up to, to Deuteronomy chapter 9, verses 4 to 7, basically Moses reminds the people that, that God did not choose them because of their righteousness. You know, he, he starts off chapter 9, when you go into the land and God gives you victory over all of your enemies, I want you to remember this, God is not doing it because of your righteousness or because you have earned it or because you deserve it. There's two reasons that God is doing it. He's bringing judgment upon the Canaanites for their wickedness. He had long suffered their wickedness. He had long suffered their uh, idolatry. And the time of judgment was upon them. And he goes, and that's the one of the reasons you're going in. The other reason that you're going in is because of the promises that I made. Because God's word must needs be fulfilled. Always. But it ain't you. <laughs> it ain't about you. Isn't that something that's so important to remember, right? Every day when we get up, we should, I should take Nikki's lipstick and write that on the mirror in my bathroom. You know what I mean? I need reminding of that constantly. You, did you guys know, did you, were you aware of this, that it wasn't about me? Were any of you aware? I just realized this morning, it's not about me. That's incredible. It's not about me. It's about God and his will being accomplished, and it's about the promises that he made and his love. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love towards us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And Ephesians 2, 8 says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And of course, all of that is because of the promises of God that he made concerning Jesus Christ from the garden. The first prophecy about the Messiah was in the garden when God is pronouncing uh, judgment upon Adam and Eve and upon the serpent for their sin and their rebellion. And that's the first time he gives a prophecy concerning the Messiah that I'm going to put enmity between the, the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman and you're going to bruise his heel and he's going to crush your head. I love that. It's the first one. All through the Old Testament, Jesus is coming. Messiah is coming. It's not about Frank Thomas. And God wasn't in the the garden going, man, whew, if wait till you guys see this guy. I mean, it's all gonna be worth it then, you know, Job, trust me. (laughs) You know what I mean? When you go, if you can see Frank. It's about God, it's about his goodness, it's about his promises. And then in verse 7, uh, 7 through 24, <clears throat> Moses goes through all the ways that they failed God. <laughs> Moses goes down the list. It is of Thanksgiving. What are you thankful for? Well, I would like to start by telling you all the ways that you people have disappointed me this year, all the terrible ways that you've let me down. But Moses understands that the people always need reminding. I don't need, need reminding of the good things that I've done. I remind myself of those 10,000 times a day. Right of the good things that I've done and the good things that I'm doing and how I'm this and how I'm that and you're pretty good you're not look in the mirror not too bad old guy you know it's not, they, and then somebody else walks by and goes you know, but worse than you think you know uh, but but I, I, I have no problem complimenting myself that's not what I need you know I'm I'm always very uh, reluctant to, to take compliments uh, and, and, and that's and that's deliberate and that's purposeful for two reasons. First of all, because I know me, all right? I know me better than you know me. And my wife has said on several occasions, if they could see you now, if they could see you now, you, nobody would come to church. You know what I mean? Oh, and I got to repent before the family, all this stuff. And the second thing is, right? First of all, I, I know myself. That, that, that's the first thing. And the second thing is I know who God is. And I don't ever, ever, ever want to touch the glory. That whole story of Uzziah reaching out to steady the ark of the covenant uh, and and dying because of it, because God didn't need Uzziah's help to steady the ark as it was tilting on the cart. That has always resonated and and stayed with me. You know, don't touch ever. Seek to touch the glory of God. God doesn't need you. It, it's for it's for a very important reason. I think for pastors and prophets and teachers that God gave us the accounts of speaking through donkeys. You know what I'm saying? This is how much I need you, dear chubs, okay? Because watch this, I'll speak through a donkey. I don't need you. Bill Gallatin used to say, I'm just the ass he rides in on. You know, <laughs> I love that. I know that's irreverent. That's true. That's true. Uh, God, doesn't, God, God doesn't need me. Uh, Romans chapter 3, verses 9 to 18 says this, <clears throat> Speaking of the Jews and their disobedience. And then Paul says, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. Now, as it is written, in other words, this is God's word. How does God view humanity in and of itself? Okay, here. There is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. That about sums up humanity, man. And, you know, we like to point to some of the great things and the good things that humanity has done, and in fact, it has. But taken as a whole, but taken as a whole, we are rebellious, and I'm talking about the entire world, we are rebellious, wicked people. You know, all this talk about what the government ought to be and what the government should be and, well, we should try this form of government and we should try this form of government. I think it was Churchill that said that uh, 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 capitalism, it was a horrible way to run a a government. It's just so much better than all the other ways. You know, there's no good way. You know why governments constantly fail and fall? Because they're run by men. Do you know why every church... Uh, a denomination and group that has ever began has ended up in apostasy in one way or another because it's run by men and at some point in time men take the reins and say God we got it from here we got, we understand we get it we get it sure we get it oh yeah we're all good we'll take it from here and like, right into the pit and there's an understanding, and there's a there's a there's a there's a thing here in the spirit of scriptures always that we always ought to be coming before the Lord every day as beggars, as beggars, <clears throat> not puffing ourselves up like some sort of victorious champion. The church loves to do that these days. We're more than conquerors, and we're this. The gates of hell won't prevail. as though we're something, as though we have achieved something or attained to something. And 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 forget completely that no, but re, but revival and the power and the spirit of God and the and governments being changed and entire towns being changed and cities and communities have always come one way and that's through repentance, and that is through brokenness, where the people were coming before God and, and in the spiritual sense ripping their garments and the sackcloth and ashes from the Old Testament that they would put on themselves to show I am an abject sinner. And I am utterly undone. And I have nothing but what almighty God might bestow upon me by his grace and his goodness. And that always ought to be in the heart of the believer. Romans 3, 19 to 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. Here it is. That every mouth may be stopped. That every mouth may be stopped. From what? Boasting. Boasting and that all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And this is what Moses, again, is reiterating to the people. Understand, understand who you are, what you're capable of. I don't know if you've ever done anything in your life and you thought, I never thought I was capable of that. Or or let's make it more realistic. Have you ever had a thought or an idea, or an imaginary circumstance pass through your head when you're driving alone or when you're with your thoughts someplace. And all of a sudden you go, oh my Lord, where did that come from? That must be Satan attacking me. (laughs) You know where it came from. (laughs) It came from our mind. It's in there, right? Um, Then in verses 25 to 29... Moses reiterates the fact that God is honoring his word and keeping his promises, and that's why they're entering into the promised land. Psalm 138, too, says that God magnifies his word above all of his name. Uh, And when God makes a promise, he keeps it. Remember this, Abraham's justification was based upon his believing in God's promise. And this is most evident in the life of Christ in the scriptures that God's word must be fulfilled. God's promises must be fulfilled. What God has said, he is going to perform, he is going to bring to pass. It's not about the people. It's not about their righteousness. It's about God's holiness and God's promises. The whole thing is about God being holy and righteous and just and pure, and us being sinners and guilty before him under the law. And yet, and yet, God loves us. And yet, God blesses us. And ultimately, and yet, Christ sent His Son to die on the cross in my place and in your place. You know, what manner of love is this? There always ought to be that that wonderment, that awe-inspiring wonderment of what God has done for us in spite of who He is and who we are. But if you ever do a word search uh, for fulfilled or that it might be fulfilled, you're gonna, you're gonna, your your things, your list is gonna be full. That's why I like the uh, the the, uh, the iPhone Bible is very handy because you can do these words. They just did an update on the Bible app. Any of you see this? Have you? Exp- they did an update on the Bible app and screwed it all up. I sent them a nasty, gram in Jesus name. <laughs> you ruined my Bible app. You know, I said it nicely, but <clears throat> anyway. If you do a word search, get an, or get, get, better off, get one of the old concordances, you know, like when people used to have to read stuff out of a book, and do a word search on, on fulfilled, or that it might be fulfilled, all through the New Testament, like during the ministry of Jesus Christ, that it might be fulfilled that was spoken of by the prophet, that it might be fulfilled what was spoken of by the prophet, that it might be fulfilled. Jesus is the ultimate example, the ultimate example of God's promises being fulfilled. Jesus Christ is that. Um, Here's an example that that blows my mind because of the simplicity seemingly of it in John chapter nineteen verse twenty eight it says this after this jesus he's on the cross, okay, Jesus is on the cross, he's at the end of his suffering, but he's on the cross, getting ready to die, and it says after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, "I thirst you, w- really like after Everything Jesus Christ had just gone through and endured. And his last moments on the cross, there's one more thing. There's one more scripture that has to be fulfilled. There's one more scripture. You can turn to it. It's Psalm 22:15. 15. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, whatever that is. <laughs> and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. Now, during crucifixion, this was written before crucifixion was invented uh, but what but during crucifixion, a person would ex- suffer extreme dehydration, and the tongue would swell and literally would stick to the roof of the mouth uh, and Jesus remember before he died, he said it is finished right to die, paid in full, but right before that, that the scripture might be fulfilled psalm twenty two fifteen he acknowledged. The thirst that he had, that he was dehydrated, and he acknowledged the fact that he needed a drink to loosen his tongue up so that he could cry out to Telestai. It is finished. That's how important God's word is of being fulfilled. That's how important it is to God that his promises and that his word is established and fulfilled. Over Jesus' dehydration on the cross, that it might be fulfilled what the Bible had said, he said, I thirst. And then in verses 18 to 19, in verses 25 to 26 of chapter 9, Moses intercedes uh, for the people. Uh, if you go to chapter 9 and verses 18, Moses says, And I fell down before the Lord as at the first, forty days and forty nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all your sin which you committed in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure with which the Lord was angry with you, to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me at that time also. And then in verse 25, Thus I prostrated myself before the Lord forty days and forty nights. I kept prostrating myself because the Lord had said that he would destroy you. Therefore I prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord God, do not destroy your people and your inheritance, whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt, with a mighty hand. So, here at the end of Deuteronomy chapter 9, uh, as Moses intercedes for the people, God is establishing the fact that there needs to be a mediator between God and man. Moses was a type. We talk about types in the scriptures. Joseph was a type of Christ, right? Moses was a type of Jesus Christ in the fact that he was an intercessor, that he was a mediator between God and the people. Now, remember, Moses was not a priest right? Aaron was the priest and Aaron's lineage was the the priest. He was the right tribe, but he was not a priest. Moses was something different altogether. He was the one who went up on the mountain and received the words from God's mouth to his ears and then brought it back to the people. And then when the people blew it, Moses interceded on their behalf. He mediated for them on their behalf. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? It's a picture of Jesus Christ. God was establishing this need for an intercessor. For an intercessor. The priests are great, but what do you go? You go to the, the temple and you bring your sacrifices and the priests offer your sacrifices on your behalf before God because they're, they're the ones that are allowed to do it and they're ceremonially clean and all of that stuff. The priest isn't going in there and, 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 and specifically for each one of the Israelites going, oh God, please show mercy. They're, they're doing their job. There's a difference. It blows my mind the, the, the idea that Moses, because God was angry with the people, to the point of, of, of saying, I would destroy them. Moses is so absolutely destroyed by that, by somebody else's being, being separated from God, that he fasts and he lays and prostrates himself on his face before the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. He's continually getting on his face and interceding on behalf of the people. And there was a terror in Moses' heart, not for himself, but because of God's displeasure with the people. He was so affected by somebody else besides himself being out of step with God that he couldn't sleep, that he was constantly on his face in intercession before them. I think to myself, my goodness gracious, have I ever had that sort of compassion and feeling towards someone else. You know what I'm saying? You, when you turn on the news or Facebook or whatever and you see the people that are on the other side of the way you believe and things like that and doing, doing things and rioting and all this, these, these things that they're doing and breaking laws and just all the ugliness. and stuff. <clears throat> Have you ever then just immediately been, been driven from Facebook to go into your bedroom and lay down on the floor on your face and beg God to forgive them? and beg God, and intercede on their behalf. I've never done that. You know, I've pr- I pray for, because the Bible says pray for your enemies, and, 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 and treat those who spitefully use you and persecute you, treat them with love and all these, and I try to do that to the best of my ability. But in my heart, right, in my heart, man, there's still something that's so far, there's so far from the heart of Jesus Christ. Because my heart isn't broken, really broken for these people. And that's, that's, the, that's the heart of Moses. And, and ultimately, that's the heart that Jesus Christ had. Um, if, you, if you read uh, well, 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Uh, and if you want to write down Hebrews chapter 5 and Hebrews chapter 8, uh, this week during your personal Bible study time, Hebrews, man, whew, Romans and Hebrews, for me, those are the books. Again and again and again. But Hebrews is all about establishing Jesus Christ's position as, as, as prophet, priest, and king, you know, and, and in the order of Melchizedek. And it's just absolutely mind blowing uh, doctrinally the person of Jesus Christ and who he is to you and I. That he is our high priest, that he is our intercessor, he is our mediator. Okay, now Deuteronomy chapter 10, we're just going to read a few verses in at that time the Lord said to me, hew for yourself two tablets of stone like the first. Now remember, he had come down, God wrote with his own finger, the Ten Commandments. You've seen the Ten Commandments movie, right? Charlton Heston, God writes. And then he says, get down, get thee down. Moses, right? Get thee down for thy people whom thou, has brought out of the land of Egypt. And he goes down, of course, they had the golden calf and this party time. And so Moses takes the Ten Commandments and he throws them down and breaks them. And you have this whole scene uh, where people are in the terror of of Moses and the judgment of God. Well, after that point in time, Moses went back up to the mountain again, and God again gave him 10 commandments on tablets of stone. At that time, the Lord said to me, hew for yourselves two tablets of stone like the first and come up to me on the mountain and make yourself an ark of wood. This was gonna be the ark of testimony. And I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke and you shall put them in the ark. So I made an ark of acacia wood, hewed two tablets of stone like the first and went up the mountain having the two tablets in my hand. And he wrote on the tablets, according to the first writing, the Ten Commandments, which the Lord had spoken to you in the mountain from the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly, and the Lord gave them to me. Then I turned and came down from the mountain and put the tablets in the ark, which I had made, and there they are, just as the Lord commanded me. It's interesting, it's interesting because God is giving Moses, Moses is up on the mountain and God is giving Moses the Ten Commandments. And in the midst of that, Moses has no idea, but the children of Israel are like, as for this Moses, we don't even know what's happened to him, you know, because he's up on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights in the presence of almighty God. The Bible says he neither ate nor drank no water. You can't go, I think, what is it? Three days without water. You're a goner. Moses in the presence of God, supernaturally sustained for 40 days and 40 nights with no water and no food as God is speaking to him, his law. Can you imagine Can you imagine? And right in the midst of that, because God in his heart and in his mind is going to send Moses down with the Ten Commandments to deliver them for the people and say, Look, what God has given, what God has written with his own finger. And instead, God understands and realizes, though Moses doesn't, that the people have fallen into absolute bedlam and debauchery And idolatry, can you imagine the heart of God as he's preparing this gift for the children of Israel and they're at the base of the mountain, they're creating the golden calf and crying out, hero, Israel are your gods who brought you out of Egypt. Can you imagine? And so there has to be this do over, right? He sends Moses down, Moses breaks the tablets and then Moses goes back up the mountain. Let's try this again. I would say that probably the second time Moses came down the mountain with those Ten Commandments, it was a different scene. It was a completely different scene whatsoever, and maybe that's the way it had to be um, in God's mind and in God's heart. I turned and came down from the mountain and put the tablets in the ark, which I had made, and there they are just as the Lord commanded me. Now the children of Israel journeyed from the wells of ben to Moserah, where Aaron died and where he was buried, and Eleazar his son ministered as priest in his stead. From there they journeyed to uh Good Gada (laughs) Good Gada mighty Good Gada and from Good (laughs) Gadah to 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 Jodbatha, a land of rivers of water. And at that time the Lord separated the tribe of Levi to bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister to him and to bless his in his name to this day. Therefore, therefore, Levi has no portion nor inheritance with his brethren. The Lord is his inheritance, just as the Lord your God promised him. And as at the first time, I stayed in the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. The Lord also heard me at that time, and the Lord chose not to destroy you. Then the Lord said to me, Arise, begin your journey before the people, that they may go in and possess the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. And that's where dad's going to pick up second service. But here is God through Moses laying out for the children of Israel, these massively important things for them to remember these massively important things. God is going to bring victory. God is going to have victory. Be on the side of God, right? Be on the side of God. There's going to be victory in God. It ain't about you. (laughs) It's not about us right? It's not about the goodness that we have done. It's not because God said, I got to have that person on my team. It's because of his promises. It's because of his goodness, always, always. And then Moses reminds the people again, remember, remember your performance. Remember how good you do when you're doing it on your own accord. Remember how it looks when you're running your life. Remember how that looks. And 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 remember that there's a mediator That's always mediating on your behalf and always standing in the gap between you and God. And this still applies to us today, Jesus Christ, is He's always mediating on my behalf. And so when all of these things are in my mind, if I wake up in the morning and I can get myself in the frame of mind where I'm thinking to myself, the victories that I know the Lord has done and that he still wants to accomplish, and use me and let me be a part of it, and the fact that its victories long established in his word before I was ever thought of being born, and in spite of the fact that I have repeatedly over and over again proven that I don't deserve the promises of God and the grace and mercy of God, and yet he has loved me and he has forgiven me over and over and over again and established his word in my heart, and knowing also that Jesus Christ lives forever at the right hand of the Father to make intercession on my behalf. And and now Moses is going to begin in chapter 12. And now Israel, what does the Lord require of you? So what manner of life ought I to have? You know, man, if I could get myself in the frame of mind where every single morning I would get up and give myself that checklist. Who he is, what he's promised, who I am, what I deserve versus what he's given me. And that Jesus Christ every day, every day, is saying he's still worthy. He's still worthy because he's claimed the blood. He's still worthy because he's claimed the blood. How would I go from my house every morning? And how would I go into the workplace? And how would I go into the family get-togethers? And how would I go everywhere that I went? It's so easy for me to sink back into me. You know what I mean? To sink back into me and and, and, and presenting myself before the world at all. Everywhere I go, I'm presenting to you, and now (laughs) presenting Frank Thomas. Everywhere I go. You know, Frank Thomas, people like him. He's okay. He's funny sometimes, this and that. He eats all the chicken wings, but he's good, okay. But God wants me to go and present him. God wants me to go and present him. It's like, whew, man, Lord, I got a long ways to go. I got a long ways to go. But he's going to get us there. Listen, I, I, I hope, I mean, I was not trying to discourage anybody this morning. You know, all of it is about his goodness. His grace, His mercy. And listen to me, He is not done with you. Not by a long shot is He done with you. The wonderful thing about being a Christian and a follower of Jesus Christ is we're not under the law. We're not under the law. We don't have to worry about the earth opening up, right? We don't have to, we don't have to worry about being stoned or, or or with stones is what I'm talking about. <laughs> Yeah, we don't have to, <laughs> you know, it gives different meaning to that. Everybody must get stoned as well. There's a different meaning when you read the law, right? Um, but but we're not under that. And, 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 and it's the grace, it's, you know, that song that we sang, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Lord, let me live my life before you in a way, in a manner that's worthy of you. Amen? Amen. Lord, thank you for uh your word and and thank you for the fellowship that we have together here. Father, I pray and ask in Jesus' name that you would um, lay a hold of each heart, Father, in this place and and uh and anyone um in in any church around the world today, Father, who are gathering in Jesus' name to study the scriptures, Father, and sing praises. I Lord, I pray that you would grab a hold of as many hearts as, as possible, Lord, as who would who would give their heart to you, Father, and and have your way in them and uh, Lord, we pray for a harvest of souls in, in these last days that we live in, Father. We pray, Father God, that we would see people brought into the kingdom and lives changed. And we pray, Father, that it would start with us, uh, Lord, that we would have a, a repurposing in our hearts, Father, every day, uh, a repurposing in our hearts, Father, to follow after you more, to give ourselves a little more to you, Father, to be more focused and concentrated on the things of you. Uh, and less on the things of this world, Lord. Uh, It's such a difficult thing for us, but but Father, we pray and ask, Lord, that you would make it so by the power of your Spirit in us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thanks, everybody.